0: And good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Harrison Smith with another episode of Cinema. And it's all brought to you by Dark Matter TV. Dark Matter TV is a streaming platform where you can find not just current genre entertainment and horror, sci-fi, thriller, and action, but also classic content that takes you back to the great old days of late night cable and finding those cult and classic films that they just don't make anymore. Available for download on Android or Apple, or visit darkmattertv.com. It's free, it's fun, and it's going to grow. What's really cool about Twitter and my interaction with people is uh, getting a suggestion uh, every once in a while from somebody who says, you know what, would this qualify as cinema? And um, this happened just last week. and In fact, uh, for episode, I believe it was 71, it worked out that way. Uh, where somebody gave a suggestion about the cinema of the Dark Universe, about Universal's Dark Universe. Someone also uh, suggested uh, looking at Porky's Revenge. And again, cinema is not about movie reviews, so I'm not reviewing uh, Porky's Revenge. The long-forgotten and and really uh, not fondly remembered uh, third installment to the Porky's franchise, which I can't even believe there was a franchise. So what I want to do is is look at Porky's Revenge as to why it qualifies as cinema. And as you know from following this podcast, or if you're just joining me for the first time, cinema is really about uh, the effort or the lack of effort to make something good when you have all the means to do so. And I've used the movie Jaws The Revenge as the shining example of this because for one, I do not believe Jaws the Revenge qualifies as a real movie. It was a manufactured tax write-off and a payday and really a cynical piece of product and not really anything that comes close to entertainment. And in fact, not even so bad. It's good. We're going to look at Porky's Revenge and see how that qualifies as cinema. You have to kind of look at everything overall. And it's not just the original Porky's or Porky's 2 The Next Day. Uh, however, looking at the teen sex comedy as a whole, going back to, the seems to be running theme on this seems-to-be-running theme on this podcast as of late, the whole pretense of a historical context and taking a movie out of its contextual terms and also the cynical idea of just running something into the ground where it just doesn't want to make any money anymore. I talked about the 80s and how it was this interesting kind of perfect storm of both conservative and uh, liberal values. We we had this huge nostalgia for the 1950s and the 1980s. And and as I discussed, I mean, you know, look what was on TV. You know, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, all all these 50s theme kind of shows. Uh, In the movies, we had uh, Back to the Future. And, uh, you know, we, we looked at the conservative values of that. And in addition to that, you know, you had American Graffiti and and you had all these films in Animal House that harken back to the, the 50s, late 50s, and early 60s before everything, you know, Vietnam and, and the racial strife and Watergate and all of that stuff came into play. What people viewed as a more innocent time. Horror obviously jumped on that bandwagon as we saw. And we discussed that with, you know, the have sex and die motif that you can have sex But as long as you're punished for it, the conservative values coming in, then that liberal mindset was taken care of and it was acceptable in our entertainment. Well, it kind of goes that way with the teen comedies. Now, I'm not going to talk about Breakfast Club and the John Hughes era you know, Weird Science or even Fast Times at Ridgemont High. We're going to look at Porky's for one, because I was right around in 10th grade when that came out. And I remember this was a big deal. But it also, if you had cable, you knew that these kind of movies were pretty big on late night cable and, and cable like HBO and that they gave a platform for these teen sex movies that really didn't get much of a theatrical release. And and keep in mind, folks, this was way back when a very small film could get five to 600 screens uh, across the nation. That pretty much doesn't happen anymore. Now you have straight-to-DVD and streaming releases, and that used to be where a movie could end up in a drive-in as part of a double bill. We're looking at films like uh, The Hollywood Nights or Losing It, you know, these kind of films where you add these constructs around 1950s values, you have these repressed kids, uh, they're horny kids, and they're all looking to get laid, the looking to get laid movie. And that's why I, I kind of leave John Hughes and all of that out of it. And, and those movies, Breakfast Club and Weird Science, 16 Candles, even Better Off Dead, they've been talked about enough over and over and, and analyzed over and over again. So we're looking at the teen sex comedies that, that kind of, you know, played on late night HBO. And like, I remember, you know, Hollywood Nights, for example. And I remember laughing at that, you know, there, there were some funny moments to it. But then you get uh, even at Last American Virgin, which I want to stop before I get to Porky's because Last American Virgin is a film that really should have done a lot better than what it did. And although I'm friends with her now, I remember growing up until Better Off Dead came along, and even then, I didn't trust her all that much. Diane Franklin really upset me with her performance in Last American Virgin, and here's why: the movie really has a, a realistic ending. It had the balls to end on on a real downer, bummer ending with heartbreak, and and seeing that you know this girl. I don't want to give it away if you haven't seen it, but but the girl goes against what the 80s kind of teen comedy did. And uh bravo to the director, the writer, and and most of all to Diane for for taking on a role like that, which could have been a very exploitative role and actually became very nuanced and layered. And and Diane Franklin was, you know, and still is in my opinion one of America's sweethearts in cinema. She was wholesome. She had that Pixie kind of glowing Mary Tyler Moore charm, and she really played Uh, A very layered uh, character that I'm telling you, even when Better Off Dead, when she was Monique and she was adorable as Monique, I was still waiting for her to drop the bomb on Lane Myers. So, you know, that that says a lot and is a testament to what I feel might be one of Diane's best performances. So then let's roll into Porky's. And with Porky's, I remember hearing about, Porky's was that talked about movie. And that is, oh my God, you got to see this, especially for the shower scene. Uh, And and again, the poster highlights that as well too. I mean, the poster made it very clear what this movie was about. You have this half naked girl with half her bare ass uh, showing on the poster and an eye looking through a peephole, Okay. Kind of like the special in a way, the the peephole becomes a a quasi glory hole. It it didn't really leave a lot to the imagination. And I remembered as a kid, I would think, like I said, I was in 10th grade or so. You got to see Porky's. You got to see it. It's outrageous. It's bawdy and all this stuff. And they were quoting the movie. And of course, there were characters names like, uh, you know, Beulah Ball Bricker. Okay, we get it. Ball Breaker. And I think, wasn't it Coach Good Enough? Like very, very, you know, almost James Bondish plays on words that weren't too subtle. And I guess if you look at it, a kind of like, get it, get it kind of humor. You know, somebody or that guy that shows up at your office party with a lampshade on his head every year and says the same old damn joke every year. Uh, to me, I was kind of like, I, I guess, yeah, so I'm going to go see this. So I went to see it with a bunch of friends. It was all guys. And yeah, you got to see some boobs. And you got to see all that kind of stuff. But I remember after Porky's was over, I was like, yeah, I guess it was funny. I mean, there were, there were some funny moments, the Lassie thing. But when you look at it from a perspective today, if you take it out of its historical context and you look at Porky's today, it's a pretty misogynistic movie. I mean, again, building these, these very shallow stereotypes, women are whores if they like sex and guys are heroes if they like it and get it. And it's just about these poonhounds getting uh, laid and they, they go to Porky's, uh, you know, Porky is this big fat, you know, redneck villain. Uh, they go to his brothel, they run afoul. And it's basically, you know, one of those fish out of water, these kids run a foul thing and they get revenge at the end and, and all is well and we root for our heroes. So, I mean, that all works and I'm not bashing Porky's. Yeah, there were some moments that were funny. I, I did not think it was hilarious and I'm always dubious about that when people say, oh my God, you have to see this comedy. It's hilarious. Right there, I'm already knocking it down like five points because I, I just don't usually find it that way so and I I consider myself to have a good sense of humor but for this stuff it was like okay it is what it is this is not high art Uh, so we you know we went to see it I had a couple laughs and I didn't see what the big deal was especially even the shower scene and then you have you know Nancy Parsons you know Beulah chasing down this guy and I mean pulling his pants down trying to look at his cock by today's standards you take Porky's out of its historical context of the 80s and also really under the parody of the fifties and you got a movie that would not get made today. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Howard Stern was trying to remake it and it never happened. Now, I don't know if it ended up just in development hell or there was just too much PC pushback on this. I couldn't imagine when I heard that Howard Stern was going to make Porky's, uh, remake it. I I couldn't believe it because I I just thought none of that humor is going to fly today. Somebody's going to be offended or outraged. So, and the same thing I think went for, we're going to go on the same track here for revenge of the nerds, which is not uh, a fifties based theme movie, but yet at the same time has the same thing, you know, guys looking to get laid and a lot of perversion going on and a lot of hijinks and sexual hijinks and nudity and girls exploited. I mean, that's really what it was. But if you look at that ending scene of Revenge of the Nerds, when Carradine seduces that girl and she believes it's her boyfriend and she believes that Carradine is really Ted McGinley, that's rape. I mean, like we, we played that for laughs in the movies. And even when I saw that the very first time, I thought, oh, wow, that's that's rape. And you know, everybody was laughing about it. And then she wakes up, you know, or comes, you know, comes out of the sex thing and finds out that behind the Darth Vader mask, it's, it's Carradine and she's kind of cool with it and just goes with it. But really by today's standards, I mean, holy shit, this guy raped her. She didn't think she didn't consent to sex with, with I don't want to go off track with this, but what does this have to do with Porky's three? Well. Revenge of the Nerds went down this route as well too. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe Revenge of the Nerds 2 was PG-13, which totally went in the face of of what made the first one good. It was obnoxious. It was, uh, you know, vulgar. It was, you know, in bad taste. And then they tried to clean it up, I believe, with Nerds in Paradise, if I'm not mistaken. And then there was a Revenge of the Nerds 3. And I don't know, how many of them are there? I mean, you get all these direct-to-video spin-offs and, and sequels. It's like American Pie. Anyway, you have Porky's that kind of morphed into this too. And so you had Porky's 2 the next day, which I believe I saw on cable. I wasn't going to drop money to go back and watch the second one in theaters. And really, if, if I remember right on Porky's 2, it, it made less of an impression on me than the first one. So by the time I'm a senior in high school, Porky's three comes out. It got such little fanfare. I didn't even realize there was a Porky's three, a Porky's revenge until it hit home video and I was actually working at a video store and it came in and I unboxed it. I'm like, what is this one? Oh, there was a third one. I don't even remember it getting any theater play up at our mall cinema. So I don't know what kind of distribution this thing had. But it's very clear that Porky's Revenge or Porky's Three is cinema because they just made this thing to make it. There was no real intent to entertain. Uh, the characters are back; most of them are all back. Man, it's not—it's not pretty. Most people understand, I think. Some don't. That you know, a lot of these kids—they're not kids when they play high schoolers in these movies. I, I think Sean Penn was what, like 24? when he played Spicoli in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So the guys that were playing um, in the original Porkies were probably all, I would say, in their early to mid-20s. And now, really, they're, they're on the, the downside to 30. And, you know, some of them were starting to lose their hair. I mean, hairlines were receding. And it was very clear that these guys are college guys, like heading toward, you know, family guys in real life. And they're still trying to play these young guys. And and it invokes in me, I remember as a kid growing up, watching the Bowery Boys, if you remember that, with Hunts Hall and Leo Gorsi and all them. I, I don't know if you remember them. I hope someone is nodding right now listening to this. But man, that was a series where a bunch of guys that were already too old to be playing teenagers were now in their 30s by the 1950s. These were serial comedies that ran through the, uh, you know, late thirties, forties, and fifties. And by the time it was reaching the fifties, I mean, man, these guys were long in the tooth and it just, it was kind of sad and it just wasn't funny anymore. And I, I think that they were the, the non racy porkies is really what it was. And now you have these guys in the porkies gang peewee, get that Wee. Here's the big thing. While the guy who played uh, Porky, who ended up in Better Off Dead as well, basically playing the same character, it was like Porky ended up making uh, those pig burgers in uh, uh, Better Off Dead. I mean, he was a a one trick pony and he was a good villain in the first film because you didn't see a lot of them. But man, to build a whole movie around him for the third installment, eh, he wasn't really all that good of a villain. Porky's Revenge is just assembling the gang to wring the last few dollars out of this. Again, Porky's was a surprise hit. Uh, nobody really expected it to go through the roof the way that it did. And it was definitely the law of diminishing returns, where the second one didn't make quite as much as the first, and the third one was just dismal. But here's the catch in why it's cinema it made enough. It made enough to justify, I think it had an $8 million budget at that time. And uh, I think it made over $20 million. So it made its money back and it made a few bucks for the people who did it. And there was enough of it there to eventually inspire a remake by Howard Stern. Now that doesn't mean Porky's Revenge did that, but the concept of Porky's did. So Hollywood got a bonus. They got a surprise hit with the first one. And they ended up with a quasi franchise that really didn't get past three. They didn't care. The story is ridiculous. Everything is really bad in it. The acting is horrible. Uh, The nudity itself. Here's the other thing. If you're going to have a sex comedy, man, make sure you have some good looking people on both sides of the fence, okay? For male and female, have some good looking people overall. Porky's three was like going to the strip club in the afternoon. Now there's one girl. I believe she was in the opening. I think she unzips her graduation gown and uh, you know, she's, she was some kind of model. I believe none of the guys are attractive really. I mean, maybe some of you ladies or or guys will think otherwise, but I didn't really see that there was anybody looking for some aging young guy stars to to drop their drawers or get an ass shot or, you know, a a shot of some pubic hair. Because, as you know, full frontal for men is a whole double standard in these movies. So, I mean, it kind of goes to, if you remember, um, it was the movie Screwballs. Screwballs was a Roger Corman comedy. But I saw that in theaters and all it was was a TNA movie. And first of all, none of the guys are remotely good looking. Like for the girls in the audience that go to see these comedies with their dates, there is no eye candy for the girls or even a gay guy in, in this movie. And on top of it, the females that they chose to get nude. I mean, I remember sitting there as a boy going, they couldn't find any better looking girls. Like again, the day shift, you know, the afternoon shift at the strip club. It, I mean, it was okay. I guess if you're a young kid, you're 13, 14, 14. Um, screwballs might do it for you, but it was bad enough that I remember when it came on HBO, I never even bothered to sit up and watch it. Cause I just didn't feel it was worthwhile. That was kind of like Porky's revenge. And the filmmakers knew this Bob Clark didn't return. And there was just nothing about it that anybody even cared. I mean, for some reason, Porky now has, you know, this gambling boat and the plot isn't even worth rehashing. And Nancy Parsons she just returns because you could tell that the filmmakers were like, well, you got to have Beulah. And and I don't know if it was because she was sick, because um, I, I know I think she eventually died of, of colon cancer or something like that, it was digestive cancer. She had lost a lot of weight. And part of the gag, of course, in the first two films is that she's a heavier lady, you know, that kind of thing. So again, very misogynistic. I'm not saying that this is all right, because you have to pull this stuff out of historical context. And this was the 80s. And by the end of the 80s, things were shifting. And, you know, we had Back to the Future by 1985 and this this throwback to 1950s values. and, And Porky's was just starting to get a little long in the tooth. It was kind of like more American graffiti. Sometimes you can have too much of a good thing. And I don't even know how good of a thing Porky's was in the first place. It had its laughs but by no means would I call the original film a classic or a comedy classic. To be really fair to the filmmakers, I don't know how much more you could have done with all of this. Maybe if what you should have done is found a whole new group of kids and brought some new blood to this. Uh, But again, the reason why Porky's Revenge qualifies as cinema is nobody even tried. They just brought back the same old, same old did the same old, same old, and expected you to fork over money for a third time. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is definitely cinema. It didn't even have the guts to try anything different. And that's why I invoked at the start of this Last American Virgin. Last American Virgin had its elements of raunch, and it had its sex, and it had its nudity, and all of that stuff. But it hit as more of a realistic teen comedy, Uh, Why couldn't Porky's Revenge maybe try to go in that route? And and you know what? If it did, it could have maybe even spawned future films and they could have extended the franchise. But you see, that takes effort. That takes quality. That takes caring. So when you're just out to make a hit and run and throw this thing out before, you know, the, the juice has all been squeezed out of it, well, then you get what you pay for. There could have been an effort to say, you know, why don't we reinvent this franchise? Not really reboot it, since that wasn't really going on at the time, but bring back Porky and give us a whole new set of characters and maybe even a better plot that takes us off in a far different direction. That could have been really cool. But instead, they went for the low-hanging fruit, lazy Hollywood, as I've said in a previous podcast, and they just tried to take some money and they did. Porky's revenge is simply a cash grab and nothing more. It does qualify as a movie. There are some elements of entertainment there because we know the previous characters so well. And as far as I know, it wasn't a tax write-off. However, I do understand that the original Porky's was a tax write-off, tax shelter kind of thing. So kind of weird that you have reverse cinema and now you have direct cinema for the third one. So there is a cinema look at Porky's Revenge and a look at what happens when Hollywood just really doesn't care. Have a great holiday. This is Harrison Smith. Thank you for listening.